John chapter 1, verses 29 to 36. And if you have that, we'll, we'll read that. Stand with me for the reading of God's Word. There we are. And this is John the Baptist that is being talked about here. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. You may be seated. I don't know if you've met many famous people in your life. I, um, I guess I've been kind of sheltered now that I think about it because of the, the two, some of the famous people I've met in life was I was just a little guy downtown Wichita with my mother one day when a man came by and he shook my hand and shook my mother's hand and he walked on by and my mother said that was the governor of Kansas, uh, Robert Docking. That tells you how old I am because that goes way back. Uh, and my parents did not vote for him. But anyway, then again in, in Wyoming, uh, one day I was out at, a, at an event, and um, uh, it was a Renaissance event type of thing up in Wyoming. Anyway, I ran into the governor of Wyoming, and I shook his hand, and I had my wife take my picture with him and everything. And, and again, I did not vote for him. But I could tell people I shook hands with the governor, and I have the picture. But about a year ago, maybe it was uh, when Menards opened up. Remember Menards? Everything's better at Menards, whatever. And uh, I was at Menards because I was there to get an autograph from an NFL football player by the name of Jordy Nelson. They had just won the Super Bowl with the Green Bay Packers, and he didn't get the MVP, but he played an awfully good game. And... Uh, and so I had gone up to Menards with my son, and, and we had some things for him to sign. You could get two things signed, and you could get your picture with him and all that stuff. And, and uh, would you believe it, Menards is a big store. And uh, they had us in there in a line that, that literally circled the, score, the store, and finally it wound down to the middle there. There's where you met Jordy Nelson. We stood in that line for over two hours. And I mean, it was not because Jordy was really talking long to everybody. He was signing away, and I mean, people were flying through. There were just that many people there. But in a two-hour two time, you, you kind of get this feeling of anticipation. And, you know, we didn't see him till you know, we were kind of crossing the store, and every once in a while an aisle you could see down, and I saw the back of his head, and, ooh, there he is. And, you know, you go a little bit further, and you come near the end, and you're about... It seemed like three blocks away yet, and you could see him there. And then as you get closer and closer and you see the size of the biceps and the 
the smile of his face and his persona and everything. And then you finally get there, shake his hand, get the autograph and say that little thing you want with him and get a picture. It's kind of like all this momentum and anticipation and excitement builds and all of a sudden, there you are with him. If, if I could give you a chance this morning to share some of you, some of the things you have, have gone to and people you have met, you could probably top me. That's about my tops, Jordy Nelson and Robert Docking and that governor from Wyoming. I don't even remember his name now, but I've got the picture. You could top it, but what I want to paint for you today is God is, is doing a progression all through the Old Testament of this sacrifice, the Lamb of God. And through the centuries, thousands of years, he's trying to get to the Israelite people to realize something is going to come upon you and you won't believe it. You, you, you just, you've got to keep all this in perspective. And all the sacrifices were intended to help them understand when the Lamb of God really did come, they would understand what it's all about. So we're going to review a little bit this morning. How did that all start? Remember Adam and Eve, they were the first two and they sinned. And uh, remember an animal was killed. Its flesh uh, was killed and the skin of the animal was used to clothe Adam and Eve. God killed an animal. And in a sense, that animal became a sacrifice because Adam and Eve needed a covering for their sin. That's the first concept of sacrifice to appear in the Old Testament. The second one we looked at was when Abel offered his sacrifice to God, the animal sacrifice, and God accepted it. God was pleased with it, and it was basically because Abel knew in his heart, I need something to atone for my sin. And God will accept an animal, and he brought an animal to God, and God said, I am very pleased. Abel, you understand what it's all about, a sacrifice, a life must be given to atone and cover for your sin. That was the second sacrifice. So it's, it's progressing, and you've got to follow this whole thing. Then we go a little bit further and we come to the, the, the sacrifice of Abraham and Isaac. Remember, God uh, told Abraham to go to Mount Moriah, take Isaac with him and offer Isaac as a sacrifice. And they make that long trip, that three-day journey, and they get up to Mount Moriah. They leave the servants behind. Abraham and Isaac, the father and the son, go on alone by themselves with the, the altar, the wood going along with them, the fire, the knife. They get up there, they build the altar, they put Isaac on the altar who is willing to be slain in obedience to his father and to God. And then God says, hold it. I'm not going to make you do this. I know where your faith is. And he finds a ram caught in a thicket. And the whole idea is God is progressively showing the people, the Israelites, the Lamb of God will come from the Father who will give up his very own son to become the Lamb of God. So we're progressing as we go through the Old Testament. We go a little bit further and, and uh, we come to the Passover lamb. Remember in Egypt, the Israelites are about to be released. They're about to escape from Egypt and go out onto their own, go to the land that God had always promised Abraham and his descendants. And God says, you will be free, but here's what I require of you. Every Israelite family... You are to take the lamb, a yearling lamb, and slaughter it. 
take the blood, sprinkle it on the doorpost and the, the lentil there of your doorframe. And when the angel crosses over that and he finds that your house has been covered by the blood, your son will be spared. And we went through all of that, remember? What a day that must have been like for the sons. Worrying about it, Dad, Mom, make sure the blood's on the door because I know God means business. I want to be spared. And sure enough, at midnight that night, the angel of death came along and all those Egyptian homes, all the firstborn sons and all the firstborn of their livestock had been slain by the angel of death. But all those sons of the Israelites with the door on the, the blood on the doorpost were spared. What is God saying here? The blood spares you. The blood rescues you. The blood saves you, the Passover lamb. And God is, is progressing them through the Old Testament because a time will come when the real lamb of God will be in your midst. And you need to understand it. We go further and we come to the scapegoat that we looked at last week. Aaron puts his hands on the head of the scapegoat and he places the sins of the entire nation of Israel, every man and woman and boy and girl, all their sins are symbolically placed on the head of that goat. And the strong man, the fit man, comes along and takes the goat out into the barren, dry, hot, desolate place of Saudi Arabia. There's nothing there. The goat will not survive. But it's to show that the Lamb of God, when He comes along, He will take your sins and He will take them out into oblivion where God will not remember or, or hold against you. It's progressing through the Old Testament, isn't it? All these things that God is teaching we go on a little bit further and we come to the prophets and, and I'm only going to pick one out, Isaiah. Isaiah, who is royalty, he's cousin of the king. He prophesies to the people, but he also basically serves in the royal court. He has a book that's 66 chapters long. He is 700 years before Jesus comes along and, and Isaiah comes to that 53rd chapter and he begins to share with the people about the Lamb of God that would come and said he is going to be a suffering servant. He will be pounded and whipped and mauled to where you will not even recognize him. And all of our sins will be cast upon him and God will turn his face away and there the suffering servant will care Carry the sins of the world. And Isaiah is getting this point across. Again, do you understand how God is progressively building up to the Lamb of God coming? And finally, the Old Testament. Remember we talked about the atonement lamb, the day of atonement in which every year, every year for centuries, the people would gather at the tabernacle and then later at the temple. And, and all of Israel would have to stand outside as, as the priest would take the atonement and, and uh, would sacrifice it for Israel. They would all witness it. And for centuries this would go on. For centuries, 
every Jew would know about the atonement lamb, that the sins were placed upon him and put on the altar, and he was sacrificed. Well, it's obvious that the Old Testament was a progression. God is teaching the people. He is preparing them for something. And uh, it's going on and it's leading up to something, this crowning moment, this coronation thing, this awaited event. It's like me going through Menards, just waiting, anticipating. I I don't know when I'm going to get there, but someday, sometime I'm going to get there. And he's doing that with the Israelites' people. But here's what happened. Satan is always the guy in the middle of things. He's the deceiver. He, he, uh, he, he twists things. He hides the truth. And sure enough, he had done that as Jesus was about to come. These people had misconceptions of, of Jesus when he came. Number one, they had this misconception that when Jesus came, when the Lamb of God would come, he would be a powerful king. He would uh, be a mighty military leader. He would bring us wealth and riches and power and prominence and, and all those things that we shared back in the days of David and Solomon. And so Satan had done his work. When, when God, the sacrifice is upon them and he's about to come, instead of really knowing what they were looking for, they were misdirected. The second misconception they had was Religion had basically just become ritual for them. Something you do. Because something down inside you tells you you're supposed to be religious. There's a spiritual thing going on inside of you, but you don't really catch the truth of it all. You just, you just do religion because you think, well, that's probably enough. And so instead of their hearts being there, anticipating the Lamb of God coming... They were too busy in religion. Their hearts really were not engaged, thinking about it, anticipating it, waiting for it. See, it would be one thing uh, if I were in Menards waiting to meet that man. It'd be one thing if I said to myself, I'm just doing this for my son. I hate it. I don't want to be here. I don't care about the guy. But out of duty, I'll do it for my son. No, I really wanted to be there. I really wanted to see him. And you see, for the Israelites, it was more a matter of they weren't really looking forward to really seeing the Lamb of God. They were just doing religion. The third misconception they had was they didn't keep it all in perspective. The main event was about to come, and they didn't even know it. You know, church can become religion, can it? Church can just become something I do, duty. No, no feelings, no heart. I just do it. I do it every Sunday. It's, it's obligation. And as the sacrifices had lost their meaning for so many Israelites, when Jesus was about to come, the culmination of it all, church can be the same way. We come on Sunday. Out of duty, we might sing the songs. We might do everything on church on Sunday out of habit. We can easily go through a day. We can go to Sunday school. We can greet. We can sit through a sermon. We can 
we can leave, but not really say anything's really happened here. You know what the main event is? It's amazing grace. We can go through church without really experiencing, wow, God is amazing grace. And that's what was just about to come upon the Israelite people. Some Sundays, though, we do get wild. I don't know if that's a word, but we're going to make it one. We do get wild where, oh, something wowed me this morning. Those Sunday school treats were tremendous, and they were this morning. I'm not going to tell you which class did them. They were good. Quiche and eggs and, oh, some pastries and bagels and juices and coffee and we can get wild. Maybe the Sunday school lesson was interesting. We can be wild. Maybe a special song in service was, was, was done to near perfection or something about it was just, ooh, that was wow. Maybe the pastor had used a method he'd never done before and you think, well, I've never seen that before. It could have been we were wild because we were noticed this morning by somebody or we were given attention, we were cared for, and, and we ought to be cared for. There's no doubt about that. But we leave and we say, that's what I got today. But if we're doing all these things and we leave and we have to say, but I really missed the main event, amazing grace. Well... What John revealed about Jesus, the Lamb of God, was after we've gone through all of this, I understand now why John the Baptist had to come along. Because he had to kind of try to sort through all this and help the people to get through all their misconceptions to realize the Lamb of God is about to come. God had this plan before the foundation of the world. God put all these sacrifices in place. He's brought you through this whole Old Testament period of what, 4,000 years from the first sacrifice? And the main event is just about to come. You all need to get it right, understand it. So there were some things John shared. First of all, we, we come to the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remains is the one. In other words, John is saying that God has revealed to me that when you hear the voice, when you see the voice, when you know God has said, this is the one, this is the Lamb of God. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were John the Baptist, think about the privilege he had. The Old Testament entirely is pointing to this moment. The people have been waiting for it, although misconceived, and John is being told by God, John... I'm telling you, you're the one who's going to find out. Wow. Talk about a privilege. John had that. And so got John experienced that. The dove came down as John baptized Jesus, and, and the voice was heard, and, and, and uh, John heard it, and he knew. The second thing John did was, he is told there in that little passage, or in that, that experience there, this is the Son of God. Now, how many times in the Old Testament 
do you come across this message that God is saying, this sacrifice, this Lamb of God, this atonement Lamb, is going to be my son? How many times in the Old Testament do we read that? I know it's all over in the New Testament. But John has been told, the Lamb of God will be my son. God is saying. The third thing John found out is that he, meaning the Lamb of God, was before me. And of course, if you go back earlier in John's Gospel, you find that John writes, the, the Apostle John, that, that Jesus has always existed, always been with the Father, always he was part of creation. And John is being told this. Now, you see all the things even yet being added to this whole sacrifice theme? The sacrifice would, would be God's Son. He has always existed. Number four, John has been told that, or he declares this, that this man, this one, has surpassed me. He's greater than me, much greater than me. And then last of all, just, just put yourself, knowing everything that I've shared with you this morning, and I hope I'm communicating to you well, but put yourself in the shoes of those Jews this morning. You're at the Jordan River. John has been baptizing people. that have, They're getting their hearts right. They, they don't re want religion anymore. They want something in their heart. And they've felt it. They've experienced it. And John is reteaching the people about this whole thing about the sacrifice and the Lamb of God. And all of a sudden, Jesus walks into their presence. But what does John say? Look, the Lamb of God. If you were an Israelite, and you were really worshiping God from your heart, and you realize all those generations before me that have been looking for the Lamb of God did not see Him, but here I am, and there He is. Anticipation. Culmination of everything coming along. Do you get that feeling? Do you, do you, do you understand what is going on here? John knew all of this, and John knew my calling is to get the people to see, to recognize, to know the Lamb of God is coming. And my calling today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit, is to get you to recognize the Lamb of God is here. But is He here? Or is He? It's your privilege. It's your honor. What thoughts do we have today as, as we would hear John say in our day, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you feel the weight of your sin? Do you know how heavy that really is? And yet, do you know as you put your faith in Christ, as the Holy Spirit has moved upon you, you bear that, that weight no longer. It is gone. You are free. John the Baptist had that role. 
And we have the role today to let the Holy Spirit do with us what He wants to. He calls us today and invites us to immerse our souls in the fountain. In the fountain. What fountain is that? Well, what did they do on the Passover day? They sprinkled the blood three times. I don't know what those doorposts would have looked like, but pretty deep scarlet red. The Lamb of God came along and His blood gushed out and was spilled. And He invites you and me today to immerse our souls in the fountain of His blood because it washes and cleanses and frees us from every sin we've ever committed. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So God invites us today to let the love of the cross, the great mercy of Calvary flood over our being to wash us, to renew us, to revive us, to encourage us to start a new day in each one of us. We come bringing nothing good in ourselves. We come dressed in rags of poverty, don't we? Nothing good in ourselves. Totally needy. But we come to the cross and we clutch it because the atonement, the Lamb of God is there and forgiveness flows and it bathes our dark, blackened souls. And that brings newness. That is the main event. Let's bow our heads as we pray.